This is the Going in Circles podcast, hosted by Horseman Chuck Simon. To become a sponsor, to suggest topics, or for questions, email goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com. And log on to our Facebook page, Going in Circles Podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Simon. Welcome to Going in Circles. It's Monday, which means we will be joined by my friend and co-host, Barry Spears, in just a few minutes. We've got a good show tonight. We've got a lot to talk about. First off is going to be uh, Tis the Law. His authoritative Travers victory sets him up perfectly, it, it seems, for um, the first... <laughs> first Saturday in September, still weird to say, but he looks like he will be heading to Louisville as the biggest favorite for the Kentucky Derby in in quite some time. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about our collector who sort of held serve winning the Ellis Park Derby yesterday. The Ellis Park Derby was not something that I ever thought I would be talking about, but it was a full field and... Our collector looked good doing it. Brian Hernandez put him on the lead early, and, and uh, he, he ran a good race. He never really was in much jeopardy, and uh, seems like he got a pretty good figure coming out of that race. We'll talk about that a little bit. We'll talk about the two Philly sprints at Saratoga, the the ballerina and the test, which were both kind of notable races, grade one sprints for Phillies. There's just not that many of them, and we'll talk about that. And we can touch a little bit on the Hambletonian, which was won by uh, what I believe is a budding superstar in, in a filly named Ramona Hill, who's who won her elimination in, in astounding fashion coming from last and uh, won this past Saturday, beating the boys, becoming the 15th filly to, to win the Hambletonian. And she was clearly the best, uh, set a, or tied a stakes record for the for winning that uh, million-dollar prestigious race, and uh, we'll just touch on that a little bit. You can make fun of me for screwing up my bets at the Meadowlands, which is kind of like a weekly thing at this point. And um, we'll get to that in a little bit when Barry joins us. But first, I wanted to touch on a subject that kind of got inflamed on social media last night. And, uh, I mean, really, it, it started yesterday. And I'm talking about the situation with the horse Green Grotto. And it's not, I'm not here to beat people up. I'm not here to point fingers. I'm not going to say that, I'm not going to go wild about this. I'm just going to say this. We've got to do a better job as an industry in not putting horses in positions (laughs) where virtually nothing good can come of it. I guess that's a wordy way of saying we can't have grade one millionaires coming up two two and a half year layoffs with three pretty mediocre works getting beat 41 lengths against New Jersey breads. It's just not okay. And it's something that we thought 
or at least I thought, that the situation at Santa Anita last spring that bled into last fall, that bled into this year, with whip changes, with all kinds of, of different rule changes, I, I kind of thought that maybe as an industry we would be a little smarter, but we're not. There was a situation in the sixth race at Saratoga yesterday where a certain trainer who really is, is, to call him a trainer is really an insult to actual trainers. His horse was scratched because virtually the only jockey in the colony that would ride for him got injured riding another suspect trainer's horse the previous race, and none of the other jockeys at Saratoga decided that they wanted to ride that horse, so the horse was scratched. And if it was a normal circumstance and a normal trainer, I would feel kind of bad for him. But I don't feel bad for him because he's not a trainer. He's a joke. He's a joke. And and, and kudos to the jockeys for saying no. It's just... It's it's the best we have. Saratoga. It's, it's the top of the top. Cretans like that shouldn't be allowed to race there. I don't care. Yeah, maybe it's it's not uh, so easy to do. I, I get it. I understand that I can say all oh, whatever I want here because I really don't have authority about anything. I don't have to answer to the lawyers or anybody like that. But we can't do these things anymore. We can't put horses out on the track with these giant question marks about them. We just can't. Everything we do in life has a risk versus reward ratio. What is the reward for these types of situations? What is it? What is it? I understand. Guys run long shots. I've run plenty of long shots. I understand horses get beat. I've had plenty of horses that run up the track. But there's certain situations we just can't do anymore. And I don't want to hear this BS about, oh, it's the owner's business or the trainer's business. No, it's not. It's everyone's business. What you do in your own house, I could care less. But on the racetrack, you put a horse that doesn't belong there, and something happens, and there's an incident, and God forbid some person gets injured or killed, then what? We just going to look and say, well, you know, hey, they pay the bills? No, that's not how it works. It doesn't work that way. It shouldn't, and just because it did in the past doesn't mean it should now. Everybody jumps up and down, and we all hear the same stuff. Oh, the media doesn't pay attention to us. They don't cover us. They don't. They don't. They they talk about sports being back, but we never left. Blah 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 blah. Okay, fine. Do we really want the media covering Green Grotto? What kind of questions are? are going to be asked. What kind of answers are we going to give? We can't forget that horses that are entered in races are supposed to have some sort of chance of winning. At the very least, they have to be competitive. People are betting on these races. Winning isn't the only bet that's available. There's 
superfectas. There's all all kinds of, um, what do you call them, horizontal bets. Horses come third, fourth, even fifth. People are betting money on these things. We can't put horses out there that can't compete. We shouldn't. I understand field size matters. I understand that. But what good is horses that are go off 100 to 1 that may jump over the inside rail or jump over the outside rail or flip over in the gate or ease or worse? How do we how do we defend that? I've been in a situation a few times where I've been asked to host politicians, some local, some some at the state level, in various tracks that I've been at over the years, mostly because we run a, a clean barn. Our barn is, is, is well kept and and um they know that uh I, I can carry a brief conversation on at least and, and kind of promote the sport. And one of the things that that those guys always get so and usually it's the same it's usually a dog and pony show and you know politicians they always smile and you know make you feel like you're the only person in the world but uh, you would go around and I would tell them I said well look how well we take care of the horses look at the stalls are bedded deep look at this this really nice hay we're feeding them and it'll, you know they smell it and it smells good and here's the alfalfa and you go down and you point out, oh, this horse is owned by a guy from California. So he comes, he flies in, and, and he watches his horse race. So, hey, he's bringing uh, business to the state. Look at all the horse feed we buy. Look at all the equipment we buy. Look at all the people we employ. And you give them the whole, the whole uh, you know, dog and pony show. But the thing that always gets them, the thing that they always, you can see, they get engaged is when you're talking about the horses themselves when you talk about how they're athletes and and what they go through and the horses um you you let them feed the horse a little hay or something like that that's really the catch and if you have a horse like green grotto that comes back after two and a half years and, and maybe he doesn't make the course and maybe he gets hurt and then maybe the animal rights people play a video of this, and then they put his record up. And then those same guys that we got all interested in, and they were really enthralled by the horses and, and, and really believed that we do a good job of, of caring for the horses, that they're not just numbers. How many videos of horses breaking down does it take before they think, well, they pulled the wool over our eyes? They're just... Greedy SOBs, all of them. Horse made a million bucks. They couldn't even retire him. That, well, you know, that's how they're going to look at it. Mamas had 50, 60 people outside the gate yesterday protesting the animal rights people. And most of them are wackadoos. Most of them don't care. Most of them are brainwashed. A lot of them are probably paid. But that doesn't matter. You don't give those people more ammunition. You give them less. We can survive without trainers that are three for 97, that run 100 to one shots, that cause ruckuses in the paddock, that flip over in the gate. We can survive without horses off two and a half, three and a half year layoffs. We don't need those type of horses. We can make it without 
without it. Gulfstream Park officials didn't let Green Grotto run last fall, which is understandable considering the issues they had at Santa Anita last spring. Why anyone else would want to let that horse run at their track, it's just like, um, it's like Russian roulette. And yeah, he pulled the trigger yesterday, and the bullet didn't come out. It was stuck in the chamber. Of course, got to be 41 lengths against Jersey Breads. Anyone that bet on that horse, well, first of all, they have to have their head examined. But second of all, like, they really didn't get a fair shake. I just, I say to myself, why? I think Kathleen O'Connell's a great trainer. Her horses look good. They show up. They run good. She's had the same owners for years and years and years, which says a lot about her and them. She's done a, she's had a great career. I can't fathom why she would take that horse, other than maybe she wanted to keep the horse out of worse hands. I'm not pointing a finger at her, but when you make an entry in your name, you take responsibility for the horse. And the horse just didn't show up at all. The owners rescued the horse, more or less. I'm not going to kill them. I think they think they're just doing the right thing. I really don't think that anyone thought this horse would get claimed. Especially for $20,000. This horse wasn't in for a nickel. I get that. I really don't think that there was any malice intended here. But the problem is that that won't matter if something bad happens. It won't matter. It won't matter. And that's the issue that we face. And these things don't happen every day, every week, every month. They don't happen that often. And someone put something on Twitter today, and, and you know, I get it. They said, hey, you know, if you're going to be a horse that wants to be rescued, uh, you probably should be a, a great stake winner. I'm paraphrasing there. But, yeah, there's other horses that, uh, that probably shouldn't be on the track. And it's not an easy call. It, it's tough. We have a... Tracks run a... Walk a fine line between... Carding bettable races and... And, um... It's not as though... Backsides are overflowing with horses these days. And the pandemic certainly has changed things somewhat. And, uh... It's easy to kind of forget that... We're in a pandemic condition because business and, and horse racing is kind of business as usual a little bit uh, I mean certainly you look at Saratoga with an empty grandstand and that looks bizarre certainly the schedules have been all adjusted we're running the Kentucky Derby in September the Travers is a Derby prep the Ellis Park Derby actually means something I mean these are strange times certainly strange strange times but this isn't something we need help with. This is something that we all have to do. And it is our business. It's not just the owners and trainers' business. It's everybody's business. Every horse that's entered in a race anywhere, especially at the bigger tracks that have a lot of eyes on them, that might be on national television, that 
people paying attention to, they're betting millions of dollars at. We have a responsibility to ensure that the horses that we put on the track should be there. And that goes for everyone. And that's something that that we haven't done a great job with in this business for years and years and years, but no one was paying that much attention to it. But people are paying attention now. We have more races on national televised than we ever, ever, ever had. When I was a kid, the only races that were on TV were the Triple Crown races or a couple races on Wild World of Sports. or It wasn't like it is now. You have TVG. It's on every day. NBC, Fox, they're covering our, our they're covering Churchill Downs and, and, and Belmont and Saratoga on regular TV. The Travers was on Fox. It wasn't on FS you know FS fifteen. It was on Fox. It was on the big show, the big channel. And that was the best of our sport. Tis the law showed how great this sport can be. How a guy who's in his 80s, who trains a relatively small barn, can buy a horse for a group of guys that struck lightning once and they, they've struck it again. And Tis the law's better than funny side. And right now, he's the best horse in the country. I don't know who's better. Who is better? Who is better than Tisla? Who would you run at a mile and a quarter on the dirt against him and you would say, I would take the other horse? I don't know. Nobody I know. That's for sure. Spectacular race. Gamine, whatever you think of the trainer. Listen, the the horse ran a... a, a she looked monstrous. Was was like... Serengeti Express... Uh, for a horse that folded up like a, a a cheap suit, her last race she she showed guts. She's probably supposed to be a sprinter, but that's the best of our sport. That's what we need to be showing off. That's the type of things we we need to be talking about. And by last night. We were having wars on social media. And people were defending a horse that just got beat 41 lengths off two and a half year layoff. As though it was okay and it was normal. It's not. It's not. But anyways, that is the negative portion of the show. Barry will be on with me in just a few minutes. And we will talk. Tis the law. And we will talk about all the other results of uh, of a really good racing weekend. So, that's all I have to say on the subject. We will be back in a minute. Welcome back. We're here with Monday's co-host, Mr. Barry Spears. Barry, welcome back. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. I'm back. I'm back, baby. You're back, man. <laughs> we were talking the other day about we really need a name for this show. <laughs> it's just kind of Monday's show, and 
kind of that that's really generic. We we need to come up with something catchy. Uh, maybe we need to throw it out to the public and see see what they come back with. I'm I'm kind of afraid to do that just just because of the responses we might get. But there may be one good one in that bunch. Ah, <laughs> uh, listen, man, we're on racing Twitter every day. There, there's enough uh, there's enough wild responses there. We ain't afraid of a couple responses. <laughs> My man Papa Bees has been trying to help me with a sign-off line. I still haven't come up with one that that I don't feel like a weirdo saying. <laughs> but it, well, it, it's got to flow naturally. You'll just, you'll just say it one day, and then that'll be it. That that that's what I keep thinking to myself, but it, it hasn't been, it hasn't happened yet. But what has happened is the Derby prep season. Thankfully, <laughs> it's over. The world's longest derby prep season is finally over. And Four it, months long. Well, I mean, it was eight <laughs> months this year. Yeah. Um, when, <laughs> when the clock turned uh, midnight on January 1st, um, I'm guessing a whole lot of people didn't have the Ellis Park Derby as the final prep for the Kentucky Derby this year. <laughs> I never thought I'd be talking about the Ellis Park Derby, ever. <laughs> I didn't even know there was an Ellis Park Derby. They ran one last year, and I'll be honest, I missed it. It was just it, it, it slipped through. I, I did not did not see who won last it? year's. I don't know. I don't Some, even know who won it. Somebody won it. But this year, it, it took on a actual a little importance um in that maybe i think that art collector will be the second choice in the derby provided the everything stays the same from here uh to uh the first saturday in september yeah i agree i mean on the on the ragazin sheets uh he's actually run faster than tis the law so you know you're gonna get that wise guy money definitely leaning that way um, I, I mean, obviously the visuals and everything in the Travers is going to be burned in everybody's brain. Um, but, uh, you know, up to Saturday and Sunday, um, our collector was running faster technically. So, you know, we'll see how this, these races come back and the numbers, I haven't seen them yet. Um, but it'd be interesting to see how close they are. Yeah, it, it will be, um. I'm guessing that Tis the Law's number is going to come back big. He he was he was caught three wide around the first turn, and he was at least two wide on the second turn. So, um, I think it was a 109. He got a buyer. 109 buyer, and you know, Art Collector got a 100 buyer. I know Art Collector's Time Form USA number came back. Um, more, uh, I don't, I don't recall the exact number, but it was higher than the buyer. Um, it, it was close. It was far closer. I think it was right, right aligned, pretty close with Tesla Law's number. Interesting. So, so it it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out the next few weeks and and who else is gonna actually run because. I'm, I'm sure that the horses who ran second and third and the Travers will run. They've kind of proven that a mile and a quarter is not too far out of their scope. The horse who was second, Delgado's horse, they'll run. Those guys will definitely run. 
Um, the horse was third is uh, a syndicate kind of, you know, micro nonsense bullshit. Oh, Max Player, yeah. yes. So, listen, man, I, I understand, like, you try to get money in the game any way you can get it. But um, I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of micro shares of of racehorses. It just seems uh, there, there's so much to being an owner that you don't get. It's it's like buying a, a, a share of stock in the Green Bay Packers, you know, and they send you the stock certificate and and you put it up on, on your house and uh, you know you you make small talk about it at parties and stuff, but they're not inviting you to. Uh, the war room, you know, for the draft. They're they're not uh, they're not having Brett Favre stop by your house and uh, you know hang out yeah, for I a little that bit. That was part it's, of the deal, man. It's, uh, yeah, I, you know, I got to reevaluate my choices. It, it's kind of, um, you know, I don't know, whatever. I guess it's not. No, I, I feel you. It, it it has to feel a little, you know, distant. I guess the the, the word is. I mean, um, listen. I get it, Barry. Like, if if you don't have Owning horses is incredibly expensive, and I understand that it's not a lot of people can be big fans of racing, can be handicapped, can bet the races. They just simply don't have the funds to be a, a, a true owner of a horse of a significant portion. Um, I don't know. It just seems a little bit uh, contrived. I don't know. But they're definitely running because they want to say they have a horse in the right, dirt. So. They were going to run probably had the horse finished ninth in an eight-horse field. So, so they're in. I mean, the horse ran second behind Art Collector. Um, he ran well. I mean, he certainly ran well enough to, to warrant a shot. I don't know how any of the rest of them are going to take a chance. They they weren't even, you know, the rest of them, forget them. The derby preps out west were mostly three- and four-horse fields. I don't know who's coming out of those. Uncle Chuck clearly is is uh, not who we thought he was. He couldn't. <laughs> he just couldn't live up to the standard of the name Chuck. He just couldn't do it. And it's a, it's a bit. Listen, I I it's I have, high. I have to it's deal with bar, that. Bro. I've had to deal with it every day of my life. It's 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 a very it's it's a it's a it's a big responsibility. Just imagine his name was Uncle Barry. Jeez, oh, man. A lot, man. Imagine if it was Uncle Chuck Berry. Oh, <laughs> he would have went right to the winner's circle. <laughs> Probably would have got sued by Chuck Berry's family. <laughs> but um, you know, going back to it, it, it's I don't know. I I can't. I was talking to a friend today, and and Tom was saying, you know, what what do you think about the Derby Field and. And one of my points was, being that there's so much unrest in the city of Louisville, that the parties, <clears throat> that you know, the the derby parties and the galas and all the, the the media and all the hype and all the things that make a typical derby attractive for owners, that not only do they have a horse in the derby, you go to Derby Week and you own horses and you get invited to the media party and this party and that party and this uh, awards and all these different things and it's it's like a a week-long celebration even if you're 50 to 1 you're somebody because you're in the race well i gotta imagine that a lot of those things aren't going to be 
held this year or held in a in a far more scaled down setting. right yeah. so with with not knowing what the uh what the crowd situation is going to be I, I just wonder if if that'll if that might keep the field two or three or four horses light being that there's not going to be that uh added experience factor yeah i was thinking the same thing i i know you know, I, I saw some chatter on Twitter, people asking, well, what do you think the Derby Field's going to be? How many horses? 20 or less? You know, how many less? Things like that. And and, that, and what you say makes a lot of sense. You know, it, it's, it's just not a normal Derby experience. I mean, as an owner, you know, typically you would take that shot. I mean, you would think they would still be enthusiastic about doing it, but at the same time, you're not getting that full experience that you normally would get same thing with the crowd uh, you know <clears throat> just the way things have been progressing with, with covid and and things going on around the country with, with college football and everything else i don't see how they could actually get fifty thousand people there I, i'm thinking that the crowd size they're gonna have to dial that back and hopefully they make some sort of announcement soon because it's really going to be the longer they take the worse it's going to be um, so at least get that out there um, if if that's actually going to happen. I mean, I'd be surprised if they get the 50K that they want, but we'll see. I know that it was announced a few days ago that the state was going to have something to say about that, and it seemed to be framed in, like, a way that the state wasn't going to allow that kind of crowd <laughs> and it, the numbers were going to be pared down. This, of course, is all conjectured. No, nothing was actually said, but why would you make a statement unless something was going to change? And it certainly would be a long shot to think that that uh, standards would be more relaxed, that they would allow more people in. And uh, I, I guess um, it, it's 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 one of these things that we'll find out over the yeah. next few weeks. And uh, we still have the... Uh, the the jockey lotto i mean who's, who's, you know who's who's going into that uh, that bubble on the 23rd or 24th or whatever it is that um that that uh it's two two weeks from today uh two weeks from i tell today. you what the, the way tis the law ran you might not see many <laughs> new york jockeys taking that flight well honestly um, I, i'm thinking going even last week not there wasn't probably a whole lot of them thinking that they were on real live horses going into anyway, the derby yeah but there certainly are a, a plethora of undercard stakes there's the oaks there's a bunch of races um you know just think there's 12 graded stakes on the two days undercards you have that kentucky downs card on monday that you have uh probably close to two and a half million dollars in purses then so it's not as though they're not you know they're going there and, and they're just going to ride the derby and then i think there's a factor of okay um we we're we're, we're sitting at kentucky downs we just rode the card where do we got to go now what kind of quarantine you know do do we have to miss 2 weeks to go back to new york do we is that scaled back do they have to just test i mean i don't know it it's it's uh 
it seems excessive, but you've got to remember, going back to New York, they have uh, the emperor there who, who makes all the decisions. And, um, you know, they would more likely be forced to make, um, to, to have a longer quarantine, you would think, than, than a relaxed standard. Though that, again, is just conjecture. Uh, today... Uh, as a matter of fact, Fazek Tipton announced that the Saratoga Falls sale will be moved to Maryland because of the travel restrictions that New York imposes on people. And sales are one place, or, or one, you know, two, three, four day event that draw people from everywhere. So to have it in a place where you have to quarantine for 14 days would be very, very difficult to have. Well, it's and, probably safer that way, technically, but it's not, it, it's just, it's very hard to do, because, I mean, with the people that go to the sales, they're not going to want to sit out and do nothing for no, well, yeah. however many days and then have the sale and, and come up empty, you know? No, it just right. kind of defeats so, the purpose. So they, they've moved it to Maryland at the Timonium Fairgrounds, where the restrictions are... are I don't even know that they have any restrictions there. So so that was announced today. And I, I wanted to give a shout-out to my friend, jockey Willie Martinez, who won his 35th, 3,500 wins today. He, tonight wow. at Presque Isle, he won his 3,500. And if it wasn't for me, Willie, you would still have 3,497. <laughs> so I contributed a little tiny bit. But, uh, you know, he's been a, a good rider for a long time. And uh, it's, uh, it's nice to see uh, him still, still out there competing, still out there winning. Yeah, good for him. Good job. But um, there's, no, no, there's no, uh, <laughs> no bubble at Presque Erie, Pennsylvania is a bubble unto itself. <laughs> I was going to say, that, that's isolated on its own. The great city of Erie. Uh, you know, it's funny when I when I was in college, Erie Community College. One year was like ranked number one in junior colleges in the country. They got all these guys out of Pittsburgh that failed out, all these Division One guys, and they were like this monumentally good team. And then they all left, and the next the next year they won like three games. Yeah, everybody's on the team is like five seven. <laughs> that was stupid, stupid junior college basketball from the '80s trivia, but uh, it was the wild west back then, man. It was there was no rules, there really wasn't. It's it's uh it's crazy. The NCAA sucks, and you know I, I can't say enough bad things about them. I don't know how we got into this, but uh, you know, it looks it's looking like college football season is not going to make it, which probably for horse racing is a good thing. It could be. It, it, it's just on what horse racing kind of does with this opportunity. Now, this is the second time, really, uh, they're going to be in the spotlight, so to speak, or, or have the floor to themselves almost, at least, you know, for the fall. I, I mean, I don't know what what basketball or professional basketball is going to do after this whole bubble thing. I think the idea is, is that they're going to play off through the playoffs. And then they're going to start the season next season off maybe on Christmas Day. In December, right? Yeah, right. That, that's well, what I was reading, but I wasn't, you know, and, and that gives some time. I mean, you know, it, but it's just so crazy because it's it's just so many unknowns. I mean, 
what's what's the Breeders' Cup going to be like at Keeneland? I, 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 don't I mean, know. it's it's just so crazy, well, and it's hard to think past you know the next two weeks. To be honest, a big question about the Breeders' Cup is what about European participation? Oof. Uh, there's still an existing travel ban from Europe for people. How many horses are going to come over um, without without right? Uh, you're, you're not talking like sending over maidens or, or nondescript horses. You're talking about you know, the best of the best, and um, a European Free Breeders' Cup would make you want to talk about asterisks. The oh, Breeders' yeah. Cup turf races should get triple yeah. asterisks. And that's worse than the synthetic Breeders' Cups. The two-year-old races, sure. the two-year-old races will be fine. The grass races, the, the, the older, the older horse grass races will will be, they will be a shells of themselves. So ho- hopefully we get some Breeders' Cup participation from the Europeans, but that's still a long ways off. And uh, I mean, I guess generally mid-August you start thinking about. Um, end of the year awards you start thinking about people getting final schedules made for breeders cup uh you know breeders cup plans what what are the final prep or prep two preps going to be and it's funny that most of the talk is still about the triple crown and it just shows you how how the triple crown looms over this sport as such a gigantic force and um i'm telling you i I said it earlier in the show, but I think Tis the Law is the best horse in the country. Yeah, I, I don't doubt that. I mean, he, he's he's done everything. <laughs> he literally has done everything. And and amidst all this this turmoil that's going on, has maintained top form and just has been beating people. Not not just you know he annihilated that field the other day. Yeah, I mean that that was his best performance, but. His Florida Derby was nothing to <laughs> to overlook at all. No. I heard some people talking about, oh, well, he, he hasn't had that wow moment. I was like, you really haven't been paying attention then. Yeah. Um, he's been great all year. He and, has, and, he has been. and it's just it's a testament to, to Barclay Tag as how he, he's maintained that form for so long. I mean, you, you, gotta, you, you have to tip your cap to him because, you know, he, he just may be better than everybody else. And that's great, and that's what the sport needs. I, I mean, I'd love to see him kind of do the round trip and do the the bow-legged <laughs> uh, triple crown or whatever you want to call it. It'd be great to see, especially in this weird year, and, and, and it, it'd be a, a nice little bright spot in a year that, that wasn't so great. Yeah, honestly, I, I mean... I'm not going to lie. I really am rooting for Barkley. And I was looking at his record today. And Barkley Tag... Barkley Tag should be in the Hall of Fame. Absolutely. He's trained six horses that were millionaires. He's got a tremendously long list of graded stakes, grade one winners. He's won classics. He certainly looks like he's set to win more classics. He's doing this with New York breads. He's not a guy that has a fifty hundred horse barn. He, he's, I think he had 16, 15, 16 horses here this winter. 
He doesn't have three divisions. And he hasn't. He's had more horses in the past than he has now. But he's never had a big outfit. But he's always done well. And he gets nice horses. He doesn't get $4 million horses. He doesn't get the Baffert horses, the Chad Brown horses, the Pletcher horses. He has owners that, that have been with him for a long time. And he has he's made $62 million in purses. Um, he's won 1,500 races. And it's time. And I, I, I think he's, it's been an oversight. And uh, I, I just don't see how... I just don't see how he hasn't been put on the, the nomination list. Yeah, you know, I, I was I was reading the same thing, and I was like, wait a minute, he he's not even been nominated. No, and I was like, you know, and that's that's, that's crazy to me, especially like you said with his with his uh, his book of work. It it seems like a no brainer. I mean, he's he's definitely an easy guy to root for. I'm I'm pulling for him and his team. I I, I just love that horse, and and I hope he does. You know, keeps running and and, and just runs everybody off their feet. <laughs> Yeah, it was a really a, a, a stunningly good performance, and he, he was just uh, dominant. And the fact that he's got tactical speed helps so much, especially in, in a big field, being able to navigate through that. He doesn't need to be on the lead, and he also has enough early speed, early natural speed, where he doesn't have to be asked, where he can just get himself in position. And Franco's has done a great job. It helps being on the best horse, but he rides him confidently, puts him in the right spot. And, I mean, poor Uncle Chuck, he, he was he, he was in a drive at the three quarters, and, and, and Franco was, he took another hold of the horse. I mean, he just, it, it was just a, a powerful, powerful performance. And, uh, I was I was really kind of thinking to myself after the race, this is the best horse in America. And right. Like, we've talked about it on the show before that the buyer figures for the three-year-olds are every bit as good as the older horses already. And he ran 109 the other day. The only horse that's run faster at two turns, I believe, this year was uh, Tom's the Tot, who ran 110. Uh, and Tom's the Tot is a good horse. There's no doubt about it. But... If you put them in a gate together, a mile and a quarter... I'm taking to the law. And that's not even counting the, the weight break he'll get as a three-year-old. But um, I, I don't know that we've seen the best of this horse. And, and he's, like you said, he, he's been sharp all year. And I know that we're going to hear a lot about that one loss he's got on his record at Churchill Downs. But... um. um it just is what it is, you know. It's it's it, it certainly well, that, that it certainly wouldn't scare you know, me. It it wasn't his best race. Um, I, I thought he ran good that day, despite that. Um, he just got in a little bit of trouble. Yeah, yeah. Yep, but uh, I, I think Manny Manny learned his lesson that day too. I on think, where to place the horse, and, and, and that makes a big difference. And you can tell from that race going forward how differently he's ridden the horse. Yeah, he's he's done a good job with the horse, and uh, it's, uh, it's, it's 
interesting also that Art Collector has a similar st racing style. And I think Brian Hernandez did the right thing the other, uh, yesterday, just going to the lead. You're right. He is faster. He's just straight yeah, up you faster know, than everybody some, in that field. Sometimes in standard breads, this is what they do. You know, like standard breads are a little more... Um, they're a little more versatile, a lot of them, that they can run on the lead, they can come from off the pace. But sometimes you'll see in standard breads when a horse is just much the best, they'll just go to the front and they just won't, they won't chance getting locked in, they won't chance getting behind <laughs> slow flow. They just go to the lead and say, you know what, catch me if you can. And right, I think I'm that on, was, I'm on the right one. In, in a 12-horse field at a place like Ellis Park, it's a million and one degrees and... <laughs> You got a bunch of half the horses in there really were pretenders. They're they they just you know I, I don't know what the fascination with the Ellis Park Derby is, but you just get in front of those horses and you you take the race to them, and that's exactly what he did. He he ran quick enough early um, that he made the horses chasing him work, and when he turned for home, he was a I guess a little bit late. The Ellis Park TV cameras are, are, are throwbacks. I think they're the same ones that uh, were there when, when I was uh, first starting out training in 1999. I never won a race at Ellis Park, by the way. That's an interesting piece of trivia that no one gives a shit about, but I never won a race. I won greatest stakes at Churchill. I won them at Keeneland. I won a bunch of races at Turfway. I won, I think at one time... Yeah, but I, how many starts, though? I won five or six... I think I won five, either five or six stakes at Kentucky Downs in like 30 starts. And unfortunately, Kentucky Downs stakes back then were worth 50, not 700. But um, I never won a race at Ellis Park. And I didn't, I didn't try a lot. I, I admit that I had really little interest in winning there. We would usually go to Saratoga. The horses I left in Kentucky would generally run at Arlington or somewhere else. But um, I remember I, 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 I had a horse. This, these nice people claimed this filly or tried to claim this filly at Tampa. And well, they, they, they claimed her. She had a nice pedigree, and she was running for like 12.5. They ship her up to Kentucky to breed her. They get her there, and she's got ovaries like peas. So she's not getting in full. So they called me up and they said, listen, uh, we kind of got stuck with this filly. We'd like you to train her. So, all right, I got her. So I got there and, and uh, uh, she wasn't the most sound horse in the world. She had some problems. And we kind of babied her along, babied her along. And um, I ran her at Ellis, I think, opening week. And she went off like three to five. I think we dropped her from ten to five four or five it might have even been like the dated five and she was three to five she looked on paper she was running like 50 buyers everybody was running 30s she sat a perfect trip and <laughs> nothing in the stretch i think she finished fourth and i said i'm never running at this place again man and, and i remember they they owned, i said why not why don't you just make her a pony or something like this horse just like this horse is too frustrating for me to train chuck give her one more shot i said i'm not running at ellis park run her at river there's got to be a race at river i look up river downs closing weekend they got a race never win two in a year for four thousand so 
I sent my my uh, the dream team over Cherie Devoe and uh, Ryan Smith, and and I said to them, "All right, girls, you guys are on your own. I'm 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 at the farm, and and uh, I can't get up there, and you know you guys uh, you got to saddle the horse, get him ready, saddle her, and 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 you know just play trainer." So they were all nervous for this four clamor, and of course I I snuck in, and. Uh, <laughs> I was um I was sitting right outside the paddock, kind of standing, and River Downs or whatever the hell they call it now, Belter, it's a nice little track. And yes, the horses aren't very good, but it's a nice little track. It's right by the river, uh, on the Ohio side, and uh it, it's really it's it's a nice little place. Uh it's actually Luke Kryposh's favorite track. Really? He was always trying to get me to go there in dark days. And I'm like, Luke, there's no way I'm going to River Downs <laughs> on a Tuesday to bet four claimers. I'm just not doing it. He liked it, but... Um, so I'm standing there, and the horse is like even money in the race. And this lady standing next to me, I hear her talking to the person she's with. She owns the second choice. And she's complaining. She's like, ha. Ah, these heavy heads from Churchill, they bring these monsters in, right? <laughs> Here's a horse the owner had to beg me to run. I was like, get rid of this horse. Just, you know, make her a pony or do whatever you want. Just don't, just take her, please. And they paid their bills. It wasn't like they didn't pay their bills. These people paid their bills like clockwork. And this lady's like saying this, oh man, these, these, they're sending these monsters in and I'm biting my tongue, you know? And, and, and um, Joe Johnson rode the horse for me. He was there for, uh, there was some stake at the, not the cradle, the, the Philly version of the cradle was later. So he was riding a horse later and he was a regular Kentucky rider. So he rides the horse for me and she wins by like 10. <laughs> so, um, you know, who was there Marty McGee from the racing form. So I see Marty and his, um, his girlfriend at the time. And we all go in the winner's circle and that lady who was complaining about my horse walks by and she sees me in the winter circle <laughs> and she apologizes and I said, No, it's all right. <laughs> I go, you know, the owner's right there. You might want to go buy that heavy head. You could probably get her for half of what you just ran for. <laughs> oh, God, I can't even remember her name. Cherie would Cherie would remember for sure. But um It was uh it's funny how how your perception of horses changes from track to track and, and situation to situation that horses that uh, the top guys would, would consider like horses they don't even want to look at. If, if you just go down a notch or two, those trainers would be, would be thrilled to have that type right, of horse. salivating to get a horse like that. And uh, it just shows you that at certain levels of racing, there, there's... There's always uh, there's always there's always a place for for a horse if you really want to find one. Yeah. So that was uh, and that was the last time I was at River Downs, and I guess it's not it's R- Belterra Park. Belterra Park. Belterra right? Park. Yeah. And the purses have gotten a little better. I ran a horse you there. Casino, don't they? I ran a horse there. Um, when I was training for Mr. Ramsey, we had a horse, an Ohio bred, and I think he bred the horse. I can't remember how we got an Ohio bred, but I ran the horse once at Churchill in the summer meet, 
and it was a maiden 20 or 25. The horse finished fourth. Ran pretty good. Mike Morgan rode the horse for me. Mike Morgan was a, was a long-time Midwest rider. He did a lot of riding in Ohio. And the idea was put Mike on the horse, let him get familiar with her, and we'll run her over in Ohio. And maybe she'll be good enough to, to run in some of those stake races. Or it was a cult. It, was, it wasn't a filly. So um, I go to Saratoga, and uh, my assistant was a guy named Pete. Pete was uh, Sonny Hines' assistant. And when Sonny died, uh, Pete Johnson came over and, and worked for me. And um, I'll never forget. Now, remember, this is before we had racing forms on cell phones and things like that. Um, so, so you're talking about the, the big version, not yeah. the little version of the print. Yeah, so we enter in this, this stake over in Ohio, Ohio bread stake, off, off of the fourth as a maiden, figuring, you know what, a fourth and a maiden 25 at Churchill's got to be competitive in this stake. So I get there, and uh, or, or I'm not there. I'm in Saratoga. I, I, I get a call, and Pete calls me, and he says, you know, everything's good. He goes, you know, there's some pretty tough horses in here. And I was like, Pete, how tough can they be? Because I don't, you know, you're in Saratoga. You're not getting the Belterra form there. So how tough can they be? Oh, I don't know. There, there's a couple horses here in the receiving barn with us. They, they look pretty good, Chuck. I was like, well, we'll see. Just let's just you know, I'll I'll, I'll get them to put the race on up here and, and we'll watch it and just uh, I'll talk to you later. Or so we run in the race. We run fourth. Um, and they couldn't pick it up. I remember their, their satellite was down. Something happened. I couldn't watch the race. So Pete calls me back and he says, "We were fourth." I said, "Real okay." Uh, you know what happened? He goes, "Oh, we got a good trip. You just got outrun." He, you know, so how far we get beat? Oh, about ten lengths. Ten lengths? Really? I'm really disappointed. He goes, "Chuck, the winner's a pretty good horse." Now I'm telling you, I've seen good horses. That's a pretty good horse. So, um, <laughs> so I'm thinking to myself all night. I'm thinking to myself, um, how good can uh, um. How good can can some Ohio bred be? And he, and he said, oh, this is what he says. He goes, you know, the second horse was pretty good, too. And I'm thinking, the second horse was good, too. Like, how good could these horses be? <laughs> well, it turns out the second horse was a horse named USS Constitution. And he um, he wound up winning the California Derby that year. And um, the winner was a horse named, um, oh my God, I can't remember the name of the horse. Ken McPeak trained it. And they took the horse and gave it to Pletcher. Um, Man, I can't believe I can't remember the name of this horse. But here I am in, in some little allowance race, or li- little Ohio bread race. <laughs> Which you thought was a little allowance race. And I wind up um, I wind up running against the horse who's the favorite in the Kentucky Derby, and <laughs> a horse who wins the uh, greatest derby prep it was um 
Uh, Harlan's Holiday. Oh, okay. Harlan's Holiday. That was the name of the horse. So I, I, I go in a, 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 I go in some little bullshit Ohio bread steak, and I run against Harlan's Holiday, and uh, a USS Constitution graded stakes horses, the favorite for the Derby, and here I am crying because my horse, my maiden, got beat ten lengths by them, and it just goes to show you, you, you never know where a, a good horse is gonna gonna show up. You just never know. You know, you just, you never know where a good horse is going to come from. They come from the, the strangest places. Um, remember uh, the filly that won the first Breeders' Cup distaff? Um, she was a Calder horse. Uh, remember um, Lily T. Lily yes. T was, uh, was a horse that came from Calder that wound up you know, winning the Kentucky Derby. Um, there, there's just so many horses over the years that uh, that that jump up and and become, you know, good mind horses. Mind that bird. <laughs> mind, mind that bird, right? I mean, it's just uh, it's just crazy to think. Sometimes, I mean, look at the story of Art Collector. I mean, yeah. Tommy Drury gets to keep the horse because of the COVID issue. And and Tommy's a good guy and he's a successful trainer, but he's a guy that gets horses ready for other trainers. He gets uh, good horses ready for um, Bruce Lunsford and, and Claiborne Farm, and and he sends them to Al Stall and um, Rusty Arnold and, and and a lot of other trainers, and never complains. Does his job, does a very good job of it. Gets to train a lot of second string horses, wins a lot of races at at uh, Belterra and those kind of places. And because of the COVID issue and guys weren't sure where they were going or what was going to happen, he winds up getting to keep this horse. And it shows you that that um, he guys like that, they can do a good job with a good horse. You don't have to send your horse to a guy with 150 horses to get a, a, a grade one training job. It, well, my, my thing is it's kind of counterintuitive to do that after a certain point, I would think. They go, well, I want my horse to have, you know, some more attention. Why would I send it to a guy with a, a you know, a hundred half million dollar horses? That's, that, I mean, maybe that's just me, but I would rather have my horse get some more personal attention, so to speak, and go to a smaller outfit. It's one of the oddest things that has has happened in racing, and I'll be honest. I saw the super trainers coming. There's a lot of things I saw coming in, in racing. I never saw billionaires teaming up like they do. I never saw that coming. I figured guys with that kind of money don't want to acquiesce to other people. They want to be in charge. They want to be the boss. Um, they have the financial wherewithal. It's an expensive sport. But come on, if you're worth $5 billion, your, your training bill is not going to break you. No. And it's the one thing that, it's hurt the business. It's hurt the business a lot. It hasn't hurt the sales business, 
but it, it's hurt the reg. It, it's hurt racing because you get situations where there's conflict of interests, and maybe they're not blatant, right in your face conflict of interests, but they're conflict of interests. It's we were talking earlier about the owner of the runner-up in the test who voiced his uh, displeasure at the ride his horse got because, not because the horse wasn't ridden well, I mean the horse finished second to a horse that probably couldn't beat under any circumstances but the jockey didn't do as the owner requested and (laughs) how to put this delicately but when you're a small owner or a small trainer, and, and by small trainer, I mean you're not a super trainer. You're what? not going to have nine Breeders' Cup horses. You're not going to have triple crown horses every year. You're not going to have a, a, a lineup, a, an all-star lineup, which is pretty much everyone else. You have to remember that that your horse is just one horse, and... I'm not saying I agree with this, but one of the real uh, trickle-down effects of super trainers is that jockeys ride a little different when they're riding against people they want to ride for. And that's not saying they're fixing races. I'm just saying that often they might lay off a little bit instead of going head-and-head, especially when they don't think they can win anyways. They might not claim foul when they're third against the that horse that trainer's horse because they figure what's the difference from only getting five percent second or third money? Unless it's a two million or three million dollar race, it's not a big deal. And and, and that's the thing, you know, um, you know, Rosario's thinking during that whole thing was probably like, you know, I, I could finish second here, not ruffle any feathers, and nobody's gonna you know, be the wiser, so to speak. But that kind of thinking and and what you're talking about opens up the door for, you know, the the integrity issue and everything else that that people don't like about the sport. Um, And and that's the stuff that, you know, it's it's hard to temper, like you said, you know, and, and, and people wouldn't think it's because of the super trainer that things like that can happen. And if you take a step back, that makes a lot of sense you know why would i why would i go head and head with with someone's horse when i may be able to ride one of their horses later um at a different time in a different stake um under certain circumstances when i know my horse can't beat that horse and i can save the place and everybody's happy so to speak it it, it's it's a factor and Hey, listen, I have been there when jockeys have blatantly disregarded instructions. <laughs> oh, yeah. Joel Rosario, I, I told him to that. take a horse to, to, the, uh, <laughs> to, the, to the back. No, I, I said oh, take this horse right. to, the to the back. Just that's sit right. in the back and make one run. Get him brave and just make one run. What's he do? He sends to the lead. <laughs> By the time he got to hit the, the top of the stretch, the horses were passing him so fast that it, it was like a, a stalled car on the interstate. <laughs> And, and I just said after, I, I said, Joel, like, like, that was, like, like I didn't even know what to say. And, he, and he, you know what he said? He goes, I'm sorry, I, I, I thought I might try that. 
Well, at least tell me you're going to do that so I don't tell the owner, hey, we're going to the back and then the horse goes to the lead. At least let me in on the plan, you know. I, I get it. I've been there. And listen, sometimes you say, listen, I, I want to be on the lead. Well, hell, sometimes your horse isn't fast enough to get to the lead. Yeah, you want to be on the lead, but you can't get to the lead. And the jockeys get 10% for a reason. And once we put them up on the horse, everything we tell them is is essentially a suggestion. Because we don't know how the horse is going to break. We don't know how the horse is going to settle. We don't know what the other horses in the race are going to do. And that's why riding jockeys who are, who are good jockeys is, 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 a, is a good idea. Um, but they earn their money. And, yeah, they'll screw up sometimes. But it's not as easy as it looks. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I haven't gotten mad at jockeys because I have. I, Willie Martinez, I got so mad at him one day I wanted to strangle him. Because he tried to split horses on a horse that was much the best. And it was a it, it was a big race, and I had a pick three alive with my horse. Singled. It was gonna that was paying really nice. And, and and he just took an unnecessary chance and got checked really bad. And that, that's the day that's the day he learned uh, that I, I knew what curse words are in Spanish. Because that he, wasn't three four ninety seven, was it? <laughs> man, it was uh that was that was brutal. But I, I get the owners pissed off. You know, we're told that the jockeys are our employees when they ride for us. That's why our workman's comp bills are, are so high. So, yeah. Oh, he definitely has a gripe. I mean, he, he's not within, you know, reason to, to be upset. I, I definitely understand that. And I understand him voicing his opinion. I mean, I, I think a lot of frustration... Um, you know, which it, it seemed from, from me following, you know, a lot of his tweets on Twitter is that nobody ever says anything about this kind of stuff. And I understand that point of view also, um, because a lot of it goes unspoken or, and, or oh, it, overlooked it, 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 or it gets spoken turn the other way, turn the other cheek or whatever you want to say. Um, because of the fact that there are super trainers that people want to ride for. It, it's not the whole issue, but it's definitely part of it. It, it gets talked about. It just doesn't usually get talked about get publicly on yeah. social media. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, Listen, racing is better when people hate each other. It just is. It's sickening to see... Races at Saratoga in the paddock, and everybody has like a group hug before because it doesn't matter who wins; they all own a. They all win. They own all. They they all own five shares of the stallion, you know. And it's it's, it it was better when when um, when Woody Stevens and 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 Wayne Lucas had a a a, a, a feud during the the, the triple Definitely crown beef. when uh, when uh, he sent. Uh, 49 or after winning colors in, in the in the Preakness, uh, what was that, 1980, yeah, 1988, I believe, where winning colors that went wire to wire in the Derby, and Woody was like, he, she's not getting the lead, she's not getting a lonely lead in the Preakness, and, and off they went, and uh, Risen Star was the, the, the recipient. The beneficiary, yes. yeah. 
you know, that's a, that's a horse that people forgot about. Risen Star, man. His Belmont was, 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 was huge. was tremendous. It's so funny that you sometimes you hear people and they say things like, oh, the guy was saying on Twitter the other day, like, is, is, uh, is Into Mischief the greatest sire ever for, for horses up to a mile? I'm like, what? Um, there's this horse that, that, that's called Mr. Prospector. Uh, he was pretty good. He had like 47 grade one winners <laughs> alone. <laughs> grade ones. Um, I guess history has lost on some, yeah, so, on some it, of the horse players, it, man. It, it, it was kind of an innocent comment, and they were kind of, well, yeah, oh, yeah, I forgot about him. And, and another piece of trivia that people don't know that – Mr. Prospector not only was a great sire, he survived being galloped by Patrick Biancone. Oh, boy. He showed me a picture. And the face looks the same, but nothing else looks the same. But he <laughs> he actually galloped Mr. Prospector, I think, in 1973 or 74. That's pretty cool. Yes, interesting trivia that no one gives a shit about. No, but, I um, give a shit. That's cool. That's cool. I would really like to see him try to gallop one now. now. That would make for entertainment. Not for the horse, though. But, um... There are issues at the top of our sport in that there's so much... Uh, there, there, there's so much interconnection. There's so many people that are connected through common ownership not just of racehorses, of, of breeding stock, um, common trainers, um, not even talking about Saul Kuhlman, who owns 5% of virtually every horse that runs in a graded stake. <laughs> Kevin Durant, you mean? <laughs> I don't know if he can shoot. <laughs> but... um. It's not something that gets talked about very often, but what do you really do about it? <laughs> right, and that, that was you know that was kind of my thought when when things were going through my head is like, how do you get rid of something like that? Like, how do you get rid of that particular issue? You can't. You can't. You really and can't. Well, yeah, and, and there's it, no way. It's like everything else in our society. Those who have a lot are going to benefit because people are going to give them the benefit of the doubt they're going to try to curry favor with them and it's just the way things are um i know i i harp on it a lot but it's one of the real issues that we have in that when you're running five horse stake races all the time and and you get three from one guy and one from another guy and a 50 to one shot from another guy that gets pretty old pretty quick and I, I get it. You know what? When Secretariat broke the world record in the Belmont and won by 31 lengths and all, it was a five-horse field. But who would want to run against him? But that shouldn't be the norm. It should be the, you know, the exception. When I see these grade three turf stakes with five, that's when I really say to myself, Where are, why aren't these guys trying to get stakes placed? Don't the, the, the owners own the mares? If you had a... I can't tell you how many times I ran in, in, in stake races, not just graded races, but any kind of stake race, just trying to hit the board in there. And a lot of times we'd get lucky and it would happen. And 
you your owner benefits because he has the the dam and now the dam's got a stakes place runner which which means something it increases her value and you never know you you go into stake and maybe it scratches down maybe it comes off the turf maybe your horse gets a perfect trip i mean there's a lot of things that can happen provided you have some semblance of a chance i'm not advocating running 200 to one shots but it's uh the competitiveness just is lost a little bit i believe and I think that the trainers want to win, certainly. They don't want to see the other guy win. It's not that. It's more the owners. It's more the owners. And racing used to be different. It used to be the Phipps had their trainers, and the Vanderbilts had their trainers, and the Whitney's had their trainers, and this guy had his trainer, and that guy has his trainer. And you had these outfits it was like a, a, a team and there was 15 20 top teams and everybody kind of had a similar makeup of their barn they didn't have 250 300 horses they didn't have horses shipping all over the place coming in coming out they didn't have um divisions all over the place it, it was just a different world and i'm not advocating that we go back to that because it's pretty hard to do but but some sort of, uh, when things are left unregulated, you can't be surprised when they get screwed up. Mm. Yes, that's a good point. It's a great point. It's, uh, it's just, uh, again, I, I don't have all the answers. If I did, well, I don't think anyone would listen even if I had all the answers, but <laughs> it's, it's just, uh, it's just making that point that, uh, that, what are the greatest rivalries in sports? Yankees, Red Sox, North Carolina, Duke. Um, yeah, used to be USC and UCLA, but they both stink now. <laughs> oh, that sucks. Arizona and the, the 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 ridiculously inept university from uh, Tempe. You know, all all there's always there's hatred and 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 uh, Michigan, Ohio State. You know, it's it's a it's a rivalry. We don't like the other guys, and we want to beat them. And sometimes in racing we get that, and sometimes we get well, geez, you know. <laughs> we tried. We 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 we, we finished third, but I I want a half sister to the dam of that horse. So hey, you know what? Let's uh let's 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 go have a toast. I mean, whatever I guess. But. We all are rooting for Tis the Law, so I don't think Absolutely. I actually I think it's it's it might be against the rules to root against Tis Tis the Law. It should be. And I really I, I really tis want the law. <laughs> I really think Barkley Tag needs to be nominated to the Hall of Fame. This should this has gotta happen. This this year and, and I'm not just saying it just because this horse you gotta is, push it on Twitter and make good, it happen, man. But he really deserves it and He does. I was always one thing about racing that always I, I was always it still baffles me a little bit to this day is the naming of stake races. Like, why did we wait until the chief died before we changed the king's bishop to his name? Why do we wait until Charlie Whittingham passes away before we we change 
the stake that was named after him to his name. Why don't we do this while these people are still here? I mean, they had no problem changing the the, the, Zen, the one of those California stakes to the Zenyatta. She was still running. Right. Um, That's a good question. Why does it have to be posthumously when could have easily done it sooner? Yeah, I mean, trainers, unlike athletes in other sports, because we're not athletes. Trainers aren't athletes. <laughs> you know, you look at some of these guys and, you, you you know, they're decidedly not athletes. The most athletic thing they do is go to the buffet. Hey. But <laughs> they have a, a short shelf life relatively, 15, 20 years at the most, just is about the max any player is going to play a sport. Trainers have have Barkley Tag's been training for I don't know 35 40 years and he's got a little bit of a late start because he he was riding he's riding jumpers right he's jump riding so uh, he didn't even come to New York full time until the 2000s so most of his earnings and big wins have have been in the last 20 years since he was 60 years old and older so a trainer's life is a long a trainer's life at the in the game is is, is far longer than a, a regular athletes um is so i would just like to see people um celebrated while while they're here while while we still can celebrate with them um as opposed to waiting until uh waiting till it's over and um you know memorials are they're they're kind of sad in in a certain way and uh and I, I really do uh i really do um the Penine Ridge why does Penine Ridge have a graded stakes named after him he wasn't very good <laughs> not even a little bit he wound up running in claiming races why make this happen make this change there's so many great horses that ran on the turf in new york there's so many name it after jj toner it's it's so bizarre that Pennine ridge has a has a race named after it it is very bizarre and every year i know i bring it up and people laugh at me but it just it's true i mean yeah didn't you post the i posted his pps yeah. He won like three stake races. He ran 46 times. <laughs> he There was a period of time as a three-year-old, he got sharp and he won a couple races in a row. And he, and, and he, listen, he, he wasn't a bum. I love to train him. But this is a great at stake in New York. This isn't like some race at Fort Erie or Turfway in, in the middle of the winter. Only the best of the best should be have graded stakes named after them. Name it after Angel Cordero. I mean... Why not? Doesn't he deserve a, a stake to be named after him? I, I would think so. Either either Belmont or, or Saratoga. Shoemaker had a race named after him, and they waited till he, they, you know, they waited till he died, too. I mean, it's like, why not? I mean, what's what's the... Why Pennine Ridge? I don't get it. It's 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 the single biggest mystery in horse racing. 
Can we're going to get to the bottom of that one of these days. I don't know. Somebody will answer me someday from Naira. They'll, they'll actually say, Chuck, shut up about this. This is why this is named after this. And the guy who owned him, horse, you know, you know, he, he was a guy who was, I think he was president of Naira for a while. But he's he's passed away too, so it's not even like, hey, we're going to keep it. In, right, we're going to keep it in his honor right. or something. You know, like Churchill Strange. did with, like Churchill did with Arlington, you know, thinking Mr. Duchess well, might finally kick the bucket and, uh, you know, they finally got uh, they finally got their hand called and oh yeah, we don't really want Arlington anymore. <laughs> oh yeah, the, all that sl- the slots and all the things we lobbied for you, yeah, we don't really want them. It's really sad. It's a debacle. It's it's crazy. Arlington doesn't make any sense. Arlington's a really really nice track. Great facility, man. And Great facility. The 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 people there are are really nice people, and I feel for the guys there, and. They've all, you know, a lot of those guys have been there their whole lives. And it's such a great track, and it's in a beautiful neighborhood. The train pulls right up there. It, it's just, uh, it, it's just uh, everything in the racetrack should be. Yes, that, and, that's a good way to put it. And to see it just go, <clears throat> go down the drain because Churchill bought a casino 11 miles away, it just sucks. There's no other way of putting it. Hurts my feelings for sure. I ran a horse at Hollywood Park before it closed. Kent Sormo did a terrible job. Terrible job. I'm happy he's suspended. Money kid. But <laughs> at least I went out there. Rodney Brown was was my, my, was, man. my was my uh he was my tour guide that, that weekend. That that was Thanksgiving weekend. That was that was a fun time, even though our horse ran like crap. I was in Simon Bray, the the infamous Simon Bray. I was I was in his barn. He shifted to <laughs> he his barn. He sleep, did he? Again? <laughs> nah, he he was the boss then at this point. But uh, it was it was a nice track too. Hollywood is a real nice track. It, it was uh, the backside was 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 nice, and uh, it's just sad to see these tracks kind of go by the wayside. Suffolk Downs. I was the talking. Rockingham uh, Park, my old stopping ground. Yeah, Rockingham Park is gone. Suffolk Downs gone. I mean, let's face it. Aqueduct. What's the shelf life on Aqueduct? Probably not that long. Nope. And Calder. They hurt was, my feelings when they got rid of the inner dirt. Yeah. That really hurt me. <laughs> that was what I grew up with. The the inner track. Calder's essentially gone. Um, oh, Kent City. Yeah. No grandstand. I got a picture of that the last time I actually was there uh, a few years ago when I went for that DRF photo shoot. And uh, it was still there. It wasn't, obviously, it was condemned. But I, my wife got a nice picture of it. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, we're going to race there this year. And I don't know. I, I hear things that maybe next year, too, there's. You know, there's lawsuits, there's issues with the state, there's all kinds of red tape, so who knows exactly what's going to happen. And I know everybody down here would love to, to try to figure out a way to 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 incorporate Hialeah in the mix, because Hialeah oh, is a man, great is track. fantastic. Beautiful. I mean, it's just, there's some tracks that you go to and you just have, you, you don't even have to make a bet. You just go there, you sit there, and you can kind of feel. Hialeah is one of those tracks. It gives you that feeling, like a special, you know, this this place is 
was is nice. You know, it's, it's just it, like you said, it's kind of indescribable, but you know it when you feel it when you walk into a place. I remember when I had horses there the last year that they were open for thoroughbreds, and I had a bunch of horses there, and I spent most of my my mornings there, not Gulfstream. And I remember sitting in the grandstand there, and there weren't a whole lot of trainers there. And uh, you could just feel, like, the history seeping out of the place. And you looked around, and, and you thought to yourself, this is where they filmed Let It Ride. <laughs> you know? <laughs> this is where um, so many great horses ran. Uh, people... People forget that Gulfstream wasn't always the the big track. Right, it was Hialeah. Hialeah was the was the big track, and and Gulfstream was kind of the B track, and and of course that's all changed. And I mean Gulfstream's grandstand has has is I mean it's totally different. It's not it's not even like the same place. It's it's completely no, different. It's, it's it's way different. And and, uh, and it's fine. I mean, listen, it, it, I get the old grandstand was huge. It wasn't filled most days. It was probably a tough to maintain. Uh, you know, there was a lot of thought process trying to do something different. And, and, I, and I, I get it. Listen, it's still there. Hey, we're still racing. They're handling a lot of money. It's 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 a success. But you just wonder about some of the tracks that, that aren't here anymore. And um, you wonder, a uh, place like Delaware Park, place like Parks, place like Beautiful. Penn. Yeah. Are these places going to make it if we come back to normal life post-COVID and there's a big recession and things like um, gambling money are tight? And the right. numbers go way down. What are we gonna do? We've kind of latched ourselves at these tracks, onto that added revenue, and when it's not coming in, everybody I, loses. <laughs> I spoke to a, a a trainer at Parks the other day, who was kind of um, a little frustrated at the process of what's going on there, and I said to him, I go, listen, man, we. The horsemen, we got nobody to blame but ourselves because we totally went all in on slots there and we did nothing to try to drive handle. We did nothing. We, we, we allowed the track uh, and the state to have ludicrous levels of takeout where no serious player is ever going to consider playing into those 34% takeout, 29% takeout. It's brutal. And it's brutal. They're... It was the perfect opportunity to slash handle, or excuse me, slash uh, takeout to try to drive handle. But the track didn't really want to do it. And the leadership there, the, the, the horsemen, they, they didn't want to do it. They, they thought, well, we're getting all this money. We're, we got pensions. We got health care. All of which is great. But why not try to make your core business stronger? You have a year-round racing just about in a major metropolitan area with five or six other tracks to draw horses from why not make it better why not try to get where you're handling right. three four million dollars a day there's no reason they can't strengthen that foundation and they weren't thinking they, they long term they were thinking short term because they didn't and they 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 went for the short term but that's that's racing in a nutshell and 
now you're in a situation where the casinos are closed or they're barely open, uh, low capacity, even if when they do open, and they're going to wind up having issues. I mean, let's face it, states are broke. Um, there's going to be a lot of fallout from the COVID issues, from the economy. And this is going to be a perfect occasion for politicians to come after money that flows to racing. And when you're dealing with a smaller number already, (laughs) when they're already at reduced levels because of the issues that we all face, when they come to take money from that, well, hell, what the hell is going to be left? Right, nothing. And that's, very little. that's the thing. It, when you get in crisis situations, all the stuff that we say to politicians, we create jobs, we do this, we do that, green spaces, all the things that are 100% true, they just become um, unimportant in the grand scheme. When states are looking at billion-dollar deficits, and they say to themselves, well, why the hell are we giving well, horse racing $250 million? What needs to go in order for us yeah, to get more money? Right, right. And what about all the years you guys were in business without anything? You're just going to have to go back to that. And, you know, you say to yourself, maybe racing will do okay if we cut back. But I don't believe that's true. I, I think the more we cut back, the more tracks we lose the more outlets we lose to gain new people, the more uh, the business shrinks because there's not a lot of turnover from track to track. In the mid-Atlantic area, yes. there's If you can compete at Parks or, 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 or Laurel um, at Delaware, th- those are relatively the same level type horses. And there is a lot of racing in that particular area that if we lost a track or two, Things would probably be okay. But if you close parks in Penn National, those horses aren't going to Belmont. Maybe 5% of them. They're not going to Belmont. I don't know how strong Monmouth is financially. Nobody nobody realizes how strong they are. Or not. I don't know what's going to happen with Colonial. I don't know what's... Where... where, um, I guess Pimlico's got a, you know, a huge uh, influx of, of money coming in to redevelop it and move it and, you know, the whole big um, production uh, the state of Maryland and the city of Baltimore uh, put on to get that done to keep the Preakness. But I don't know what the bottom line looks like in Maryland. And you have to remember that racetracks are losing money in that they're not getting any revenue from um, from on-track people, from uh, even some tracks rent out their facility, rent out parts of their facility for carnivals. Uh, Gulfstream rents out um, a huge portion of their parking lot in the fall while racing is over at Calder to Broward County for the Broward County Fair. Fair, yeah. Um, Fair you're going to lose that revenue. Um, all the car shows, all the things that that maybe they don't 
you know, bring in millions of dollars, but they bring in revenue and they're not selling any hot dogs. They're not selling any beers. They're not having any big days. Breeders' Cup's a big day. Derby days is a big day for all racetracks that are open. All racetracks do well on Derby Day. And to think that most tracks aren't going to have anybody there on Derby Day. Churchill Downs, they're, they're going to they're gonna lose their ass on, on this Derby. Um, and it, it'll be the most popular, it'll be the biggest handle on a horse race for the year, but it won't even be close. The Derby card won't even be close to any other cards. It'll be so much higher. Yeah, it's, it's going to be so strange. But they're still going to lose so much money. Uh, and yes, Churchill Downs is a big public corporation, and, and they're going to survive. And um, But uh, it just is It's a little disheartening, not knowing. And I think a lot of people in the business are, are a little bit naive in that thinking because things have always been they'll always continue and it just seems to be counter the, the, the what's actually happened is counter to that in that we have lost so many tracks i mean we're going to lose arlington there's going to be the only track in chicago is going to be hawthorne we lost all the harness tracks mostly in in, in chicago too Belmore. yeah i mean it's it's uh it's a little bit scary and if I was a kid, if I was 21 again, I talk about this with Nick Vecares all the time. I don't know what the sport's going to look like in 10, 12, 15 years. Yeah, I've said the same thing. I mean, my daughter is seven. By the time she's 20, you know, who knows what this industry's going to look like. And, you know, there's no, there's no plan. I mean, there is no plan. And I understand that you have so many divergent interests, the Churchill Downs and Naira and the Stronach Group and, and the Oaklawn people. I mean, yes, they're all individual operations. But a guy made a good point on Twitter. I can't remember who, which, which guy it was, but there are some maniacs on Twitter, but there are some really sharp guys. I mean, you, there are some really smart people. And it's a tough uh, format to really get too in-depth about, but he said the biggest mistake racetracks make is they look at other racetracks as competition. They don't look at the real competition, which is sports betting, which sports is betting. casinos, which yeah. is all the other things that are coming in to take our share share of our, our handle. They look at the other tracks as competition, and they don't work with the other tracks. They work against the other tracks. That's why we see post drags and things like that. that that's why we don't have coordination of stakes. Uh, there's there's just so many things that, that we could do better, and we don't need a national commission to do this. The national commission's never happening. Never, ever. Look at the way Washington exists now. Do you really want our, our future tied into that when every time there's... The, the radicalization of politics has caused... will cause things like uh, a national racing board to become radically politicized. Politicized, right. And, and, and the gonna, ripple effect filters all if, the way if, down. If one party wins, they're going to they're gonna put all their people on there. And then by the time you get... It's just like what happens in the state of Florida. By the time we, we get done educating the guys who are in charge of the Department of Business Regulation because we don't have a racing commission, <laughs> by gone. the time we these guys start to figure out racing... 
they're they're gone. They leave. They they get bumped up. They go to a different position, and then they bring a new guy in. Or if someone loses election, they bring a new guy in, and then we got to teach this guy. And not all of them really want to want to learn. They don't want to learn. Not all of them want to put the time in. They don't really care. They figure they're only going to be here for a little while. We're one of thirty-eight division parts of the division. You know, thirty-eight divisions of the division. So it's it's just not going to happen. But there's just so many things that the sport could do for itself to, um, I mean, if you look at the Derby trail, yeah, Churchill screwed the Hawthorne by not putting the Illinois Derby on the Derby trail. No doubt about it. Absolutely. And now that they're kind of going to get out of Illinois racing, maybe we could get that back on the schedule. Just saying. But what did happen was they kind of set the, the, the schedule for the derby preps and everybody kind of fell into place because it, it's it's really worked out pretty well. I don't like the point system. It's got flaws in I think there's a lot of things that should be changed. I think the, the last races have a little bit too many points. Some of the earlier races would probably do better with a little probably more points more. Yeah, if you just adjusted it a little bit. But um, it has made things more coordinated <laughs> because uh, you can't just keep running them on top of each other, on top of each other, on top of each other, because then you're not going to get the, the, the feels that you should. So the races get staggered pretty well, and it's only one part of one division, you know, three-year-old mostly male dirt horses going long. But um, it could be done. Why not have a series of races leading up to the Breeders' Cup for each division. I, I know they have their win in your ins, but why not have some kind of point system? Have bonuses? Yeah, I mean, that, that, that only would be natural. It makes a lot of sense. I don't understand why it hasn't happened yet, to be honest. It, it's it's, uh, it's one of these know, things that would, would, would be beneficial to the industry, but... But it would be beneficial to the industry. I don't know. It would be beneficial to an individual or a one track or one group. Uh, I, I just, we had something called the American Championship Racing Series. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And there was, I, I, I read an article that Andy Byer wrote God, almost 30, 30 years ago, 25 years ago. And the complaint was that a lot of the horses were running all over the place, all over the country in, in the series, and a horse named In Excess kind of skipped all those races, stayed in New York, picked <laughs> off the Met Mile, the Suburban, yeah, the Whitney, all of which are, are, of course, you know, important races, but they weren't part of the series, and the fields just weren't that strong because everyone else was, was chasing the bonuses. And, <laughs> you know, there was some... some uh, Animosity. <laughs> Consternation, I guess would be the best word. That, hey, uh, this guy ducked the series. We beat each other up running all over the place. And he's going to wind up getting horse of the year by not participating in the thing. That's Which is like the polar opposite of how it's supposed to work. Right, well, how they wanted it to work. Right. So <laughs> it, it, it was probably one of the reasons why it kind of fell apart. But it, it was a great idea. And, and it's something that... that that should happen. It, it might actually. Um, I hate when I see horses run in a race and then the trainer 
that says they need two months off. I hate that. Because there are horses that are like that, but not many. Most of them would do better, especially big colts. They do better running every one, once a month. There's no reason horses can't make eight starts a year. None. Eight, nine starts a year. No reason why they, they can't do that. And if you put something together, uh, what about the sprinters? You know, just put something together for the sprinters first, right? Sprint races are kind of all over the place. And they're not deemed as important as um, our, our longer races. So there's a lot fewer grade ones. So why not put some sort of series together where we could get the best sprinters running against each other once every month, once every five weeks, once every six weeks, and and put a bonus together. Get a sponsor. I mean, Run Happy will sponsor. They sponsor yeah, everything else. So, and he was a sprinter. You know, why, why not put natural. something like that together? And, and why not make it where give them a bonus at the end um, – I would love to see the Breeders' Cup kind of tie it in. And maybe you get, uh, you know, you're guaranteed not to get post uh, uh, in the big field races. You know, horses that, that wins the, uh, the the overall title gets, uh, gets to choose his post or something like that. I, I don't know. I'm just throwing things out there. Um, well, it's just a lot of complacency that, that, that creates... Um, those kind of situations where they don't think out of the box, they don't get creative, and you're stuck. Yeah, the most creative thing racing has done in the last few years is jackpot wagers. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that's not very creative. Right. Not which, very, <laughs> which, it's which not are, really player-friendly either. So. No, they're fool's gold. They're they're only smart to play on, on buyout days and... And, and even there, we got we got two tracks, two of the biggest handling tracks having buyout days on the same day. On the same day. Right. It's, Unbelievable. And when you look at it from the outside, you say, well, racing screwed up again. But racing is completely different operations. And I'm sure Naira had their reasons. I'm sure Gulfstream had their reasons. Uh, and that was, you know, that that's what happens. And um, it's frustrating, but... Uh, I mean, I wouldn't hit either, so. <laughs> Until I start paying. The only the only thing I ever hit lately is Constellation Pick 5s at the Meadowlands where I get back oh, a dollar. Oh, I don't want that. That $1.20 isn't going for it. You can't even get a soda with that. I don't know why they keep that up, but it is funny to look at the account and see the $1.49. <laughs> the Hambo was, was a great race. Well, it wasn't a great race, but Ramona Hills. She's a champion. She is really good. Really good. I, I thought it was funny. People were trying to make cases uh, back at the neck, got a little lonely on the lead, this and that. So the horse also got an easy half mile in the elimination. Then she came from the clouds to run them down. She's just better than them. She's a really good horse. I, I thought Metalines put on a really good card. Um, yeah, Jeff, I enjoyed it. It was, it was really good. You know, Jesse Duke had won. I would have done really well, but Jesse Duke lost. Dang it. <laughs> so, it's funny that um, they race 16 race cards and, and they get done before... They, they, they got done before Saratoga got... Before Saratoga's card. Got, got yeah, their, and they uh, started like... <laughs> before same, them. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny, but... Um, 
it's uh it's tough i mean no metal ends for a month man i'm gonna have withdrawals oh that sucks especially on friday nights i know our friday night uh activities are gonna be gonna be missing i'm gonna have, I, I might actually try to actually have a life you know like not just sit around and bet the metal ends but uh they they did well. They handled well. And Ramona Hill is a really good horse. And uh, Jim Pansy, he's good. I still I hate, hate, hate owners' colors and harness. Come on with those. They're yeah, horrible. That, They're a horrible. That's those European people with all their nonsense. All those trotters. <laughs> Listen, yeah, I don't like colors. I don't like them at all. At least Diamond Creeks. Are, are not like ridiculous that current those red with the yellow and the, the, the it, it, it they're like clown suits you know the drivers have to hate them and you know what pisses me off is that it you don't know who they are i mean one thing about the one thing about trotters that is different than thoroughbreds is that you know you can follow the races by the driver's silks because the drivers have their own silks their own colors so you see the green and yellow, you know it's Tim Tetrick or maybe Corey Callahan. You see the green and white, you know it's it's Gingras. You, you see the red and the, the maroon and white, you know it's Dexter Dunn. Dexter Dunn. You know to see the purple um, with the yellow, it's uh, the purple and the white, it's Dave Miller. And, Miller. and you know where the guys are in the race. And when they put those stupid silks on, that they I only seem to use in state is. races. Like, can't we just do this and let them drive into regular colors and then if they win the race just like put it on like there in the winner's circle or something for the right. main picture that's a good idea I just think uh, we should have a national commission to just to ban those things oh I hate <laughs> them they drive me crazy I know the, the, between that and Pennine Ridge everyone probably thinks I'm a complete maniac those are high but man. These we gotta are, get that fixed these, immediately. These, these are pet peeves. Those current ones are horrible. Horrible. Like, who designed those? And they look like they'd fit <laughs> me. Seriously. <laughs> Tom Proctor could fit into those things. And it's, it's yeah, just... They, they look ridiculous. Just be happy having a really good driver driving your really good horse. Isn't that enough? Right, Why isn't that enough? That should be enough. Oh. Especially the way that goes, you know, the haves and the have-nots as far as drivers go at Meadowlands. Well, that's one thing you never see at Monticello. No. Will not. Well, Barry, we've taken up plenty of your time today. This is like Always a, a pleasure. A Always super, a pleasure, my man. Like a super long podcast. If you're driving across the country, we probably get you from... Tennessee to Nevada. That's a long way, bro. But um, I appreciate your time as always and your input, which is always well-received. And we have uh, tomorrow, we have Going in Circles Live at 2 o'clock. I have Tom Law from the Saratoga oh, Special. Tom the Law. The Law Dog will be on um, at 2.10. And we don't know how long the, the long, you know, he runs marathons, so we might get him for a, a while. Okay. And hopefully we got a little better luck from um, 
than we did last week when we had a hurricane and, and uh, the phone lines were all kind of messed up. But uh, So he'll be on, and we're going to have a trivia question, and we're going to give out a prize. Oh. Uh, oh, this is the other thing I, I completely forgot about. The Going in Circles Podcast.com website is now up and running. And on the website, on the What's Next page, is a picture of the prize for tomorrow's contest, which is a mid 90s, and I'm not exactly sure what vintage, but a mid 90s Saratoga tote bag, red and white tote bag, never been oh, used. Boy. Oh, it's, man. It's new. Uh, brand spanking new. And uh, we have my dad to thank for that because uh, he had it for 25 years for some reason and never opened it up. So that will be the contest prize. I'm not exactly sure what what the trivia question or the contest is even going to be, but I know what the prize is. All right. Well, that's that's probably more than half the battle. And we we, get that we, out on Twitter. we have to come up with a name for this show, the Monday Night Show. We have to come up with uh, a sign-off line man twitter twitter's gonna be overworked with with our questions and polls to try to see how we can get this stuff done i know i mean clearly i'm i'm incapable of 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 getting either of those two things done because i've been thinking about the stupid sign-off line for about a month and i haven't really come close to anything other than hey yo we're out of (laughs) here That works, though. I mean, it's unique. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Anyways, by the time people get to the end of this podcast, they'll probably be sleeping. But but anyways, Barry, thank you again for, for your time and your input. And uh, looking forward to next Monday's show already. We uh, uh, It's not quite... Uh, not going to be quite as busy of a week of racing. It's it's a little slow now. <laughs> now that the Triple Crown preps are done in August and the Travers is already run and we got <laughs> oh, three more weeks of August and Saratoga is weird and I haven't watched a race from Del Mar in two weeks. And You're jaded. Yeah, yeah. But you know racing, something will come up. There will be something happens. to talk about every week. Something crazy comes up, so... So have a good rest of the week, and uh, tell my little friend I said hello. All right, definitely. Thanks a lot, man. Uh, Always a pleasure. You got it. All right. Thank you. That was my friend Barry Spears, who gave us a lot of time tonight. And uh, thank you for listening. It's been a long show. We had a lot to talk about. Tomorrow, tune in. Blogtalkradio.com. Once you're there, go to search Going in Circles podcast, and you can listen live. You can call in, and we'll have a call-in number, and uh, get involved with the contest. You can go to goingincirclespodcast.com. Check that out. Um, Be kind. I'm not a computer programmer, and I did the website on my own, and it's taken me a long time to do it, and I know it looks like a fifth grader did it, but hey... It's up, it's running, and we're going to add a whole lot of things once I get someone qualified (laughs) to do it can help me do it. Uh, I do want to have a lot of interactive things. We'll add some handicapping things. 
Um, we have some videos. It's uh, it's getting there. It's coming along, and and at least we can put up some pictures, some PPs, some things that uh, maybe you can you can check out, and not just uh, listen to what we have to say. But sometimes you get a a visual, and, and you can see a a video of a race, or you can see the PPs or a chart, and and get a little better understanding of of what we're talking about. Makes it uh, I think it, it'll enhance the experience, at least marginally. So until next time, thank you for listening.